Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, joined shortly here by Chris Zarnick. And last week, we spent a lot of time on my long-term ideas about what could happen to this team, and one of those fears was if Brett Hundley somehow was as good as Dak Prescott, we had this great, great team, and then what do you do with Aaron Rodgers next year? Well, check that off the list. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, the Packers had... You know, they, they stayed close, uh, interesting game to say the least, uh, but when it was all said and done, the New Orleans Saints left Lambeau Field with a 26-17 to victory, and the Packers are now 4-3 and heading into their bye week. And Chris, after about, what, three minutes, it looked like this team was going to be able to roll without Aaron Rodgers, but that flash came fast, and it faded fast, and after that, uh, there was a lot of Saints. Well, we're going to come here, I think, with a lot of positivity. I I know that people are down, and last week we were a little bit down and out uh, after uh, Rodgers got hurt, but I will tell you, I was watching the show with my, or the game with my son Ben, and we went oh my gosh, we can run the ball. (laughs) Like, holy cow, where did that come from? And we'll talk a little bit later about why we can run the ball now or why we did. Um, But listen, the the only way that you can come out of this game, that we would have come out of this game completely negative, is if we had just laid a a tremendous goose egg. Now, it's disappointing that in the second half, we essentially uh, laid a goose egg. And part of that, I think, is because we we went away from the things that got there. But but tell me that you, as a fan, weren't very excited about um, Aaron Jones running the ball and 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 uh, Demarius Randall coming back mm-hmm. and getting an interception and going into the half fourteen seven. You went well. Wait a second. You know, New Orleans is not a bad team. Yeah. And and uh, goodness knows, Drew Brees knows how to throw against the Packers. I, I saw statistics saying that they've averaged 38 points a game in the five games they've played the last five games that they played against the Packer defense he's probably not alone with that statistic maybe not actually but 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 I you know I was fully expecting him to light us up and uh, for a half we really stayed in it so so again are you capable of playing pretty well the answer is yes because they showed it we didn't sustain it and I think I think one thing uh, we, we we shouldn't give up on Brett Hundley too quickly because he was clearly on a very short leash. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he you know he didn't throw the ball downfield except the one you know punt he yeah, threw that yeah. was intercepted. Um, I, I don't know. There's something to build on here, and and a lot of it. The neat thing is a lot of it has to do with youth, mm-hmm. youth like uh, draft picks, youth like running backs, youth like Brett Hundley. So you know, not not all uh, you know every every cloud has a silver <laughs> lining, and I think in the first half we saw some of that. So I'm really torn on this because. This was a, a conversation that I and, and several of our listeners had had after the game on Twitter because I have very extreme emotions about this game on either, uh, not extreme as in like we were last week, uh-huh. but very differing uh, emo- uh, thoughts about what happened in this game. Because on the one hand, watching the game, I thought that Brett Hundley, he, he had a decent command um, in the pocket. He showed some tremendous escapability. Um, he certainly was... Even a better athlete than I had hoped he would be because we hadn't had a chance to see some of that. And so watching the game, just eyeball test, I'm like, wow, he's doing okay. And maybe it's not his fault. He was a little handcuffed by the game plan. And then you see his statistics, which I know statistics don't always tell the story, but twenty or 12 of 25 for 87 yards and an interception, which right. is a 39 passer rating. And the big problem there is the 87 yards. So Brett Hundley is... The first quarterback um, 
since Brett Favre when he beat Tampa Bay in 2003, so that's 14 years ago, to attempt as many as 28 passes and have it fewer than 100 yards passing. And it's the fewest passing yards for a Packers quarterback to attempt at least 25 balls since David Whitehurst in 1979. And so... Anytime you're in the David Whitehurst territory, that's a little scary. I didn't expect him to come out and light up the scoreboard, but 87 yards is like... Tim Tebow laughs at that. Yeah, it, it looked like they were trying to make sure that he didn't lose the game for them. Because, so so um, it, you always think about uh, uh, offenses and timing, all right? So what you didn't see a ton of is Hunley takes a snap, drops back three steps, cocks his arm, and throws the ball to a spot. That's what a good offense looks like. And you saw him made a couple of plays. You saw him run out of the pocket. But what you didn't see is a very scripted, structured, you know, uh, 10-yard out to Jordy for the first down. Yeah. You didn't see a ton of that stuff that that we've gotten really used to. So my question, Chris, then, is why is that? Because well, I, is it because McCarthy doesn't trust this guy? He's been here three years. Is he not capable, or is McCarthy just not ready to trust no. him? No. So, so if you look at the play calling, okay, so um, you, did, you saw almost uh, nothing to the tight ends. Well, why is that? Well, throwing over the middle does what? When you throw late over the middle, it's classically, that's when interceptions happen. The one thing you can't do in a first quarterback's series is put him in a position to really, really lay an egg, yeah. throw four interceptions, you know, have one go back to the house. You can't break his spirit in the first one. So so what you really say is don't lose the game for us. Yeah. Manage the game for us. And we're going to try some new things in offense and we're going to see if we can keep this this thing close. And um, and I think what you saw is Hunley can throw the ball. He has all the mechanics. He has the physical nature, um, and he and he scrambles really well. But you know, I don't remember seeing him drop back three steps, cocking and throwing on time. Right. Yeah. So I saw him take a look and look first receiver, and second receiver, third receiver. Okay, that's great going through your progressions. But what's the problem with going through your progressions to the third receiver? Yeah. The first two aren't open. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so there there's two sides to that story and what it does tell you is that he wasn't trying to fit the ball in somewhere where it didn't belong. Now is he probably overly cautious? Yep, I'm sure he was told before the game just don't if it's not open don't throw it. Just and so, you know, is it again is it people or is it scheme? Yeah. Uh I think they put a game plan in that was purposely designed for him to uh, not be able to win the game or lose the game, but just keep them in it. And to me, I, I get all of that, and I understand it, but I have a couple of questions that comes out of that. First of all, Mike McCarthy, have you ever coached this team before? Because what game have you ever been able to win without your offense doing a lot? And on the other side of it is, Brett Hundley's been here a few years. When you had Scott Tolzien, who had been in the building for three weeks, he put up 300 yards yeah. in his first start. I mean, I wasn't expecting him to have 300 yards, but... Is it McCarthy saying, don't lose it for us, or was Hunley afraid to lose it for him? And, and I don't have the answers to those questions, but again, getting everything you said, something isn't quite clicking here because, to me, with how you've seen that defense play, particularly going back to what you said, against Drew Brees, right, right. you could not have expected that a conservative game plan that just doesn't turn the ball over was going to beat that team. So then is it McCarthy saying, hey, be cool, or was it Hunley doing that? 
Because when we've had other guys, Flynn and Tolzien and all those come in, they certainly weren't afraid to make mistakes and throw it down the field. Yeah, I think that's true. My guess is when you have a new quarterback, if if you've ever heard the term with new quarterbacks, you have to learn to trust your eyes. So so if you'll notice most of the routes that that a quarterback throws, an experienced quarterback throws – Throw, uh, they actually throw it before the person's open, okay, right? So, they, so they're flashing in front of a linebacker or behind a linebacker, and they, they, <clears throat> they have to see the, the play progressing be- to throw the ball where they're going to be, not where they – They're throwing a window. Currently, yeah, currently, and, and they're throwing on timing. Well, when you're a brand-new quarterback, you're kind of waiting for the person to be open. And in the NFL, if you're waiting for them to be open, they're going to be covered by the time because you only get so much separation wherever you yeah. make your break in the route. You only get so much separation, and then they have makeup speed to get there. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see a ton of separation. Yeah. And I, and and we know that our receivers are not exactly. You know, they're not great. They're not great route runners. They're not uh, speed burners where they're going to beat anybody else. And so what you've seen is you've seen Aaron Rodgers throw throw people open mm-hmm. essentially, and Brett Hundley not be able to do that or wait until they're actually open, because I'm guessing that they gave him conservative uh, conservative things. So uh, I'm more I'm more concerned to be perfectly honest with them why we stopped doing what worked so well in the first half. Maybe we'll get yeah. to that in a second. But uh, my my opinion is that he he had his hands not tied, but he certainly had some boundaries around him. And he was tentative when he decided to make the throws. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think everybody can share the blame. McCarthy really put it on himself in the post game. Mm-hmm. Said, "I'm to blame for this game plan." Uh, certainly, I think that's fair. Hunley's got to do more. Maybe that's what he was trying to do at the end of the game, and then people kill him for throwing an interception. Um, that play sent everybody down the field. He really didn't have any other options. Sure, but that's even handcuffed. 87 yards is not a I mean, lot. Well, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be applying. By the way, just to be clear, I'm going to be applying for. <laughs> for the backup role with after Joe Callahan after that because I'm pretty sure I could get to 87 yeah. so, so can you by the way you should join me yeah I, I, I don't I'm not willing to take that risk okay. I think if anybody's seen me uh, I'm not I don't know if I could lift the pads okay, uh, fair, from fair enough. but so I'm not ready to throw in the towel on Hunley by any oh, means no. but and his escapability was nice he's a great athlete but wow somebody, either him or McCarthy or two together, have to find a way to be a little bit more aggressive. If it blows up in your face, it does. But that game plan yesterday wasn't going to beat anybody offensively with the defense we have. Yeah, no, I think that's really true. And and I think you know that going into the game that you're probably not going to outscore the opponent, which is what surprised me we didn't do anything different on defense. Remember, I talked about that mm-hmm. as, you know, we have to do something on defense different. Uh, because if we give up 30 points, we're not going to win that game, and that uh, ended up true to form. Um, the, the other thing is that, that that one deep throw he has, you always want to throw once deep in the first quarter. Yeah. Always, because mm-hmm. because what you want to do is you want to loosen up the secondary and know that they can come. Because when you're a brand-new quarterback, essentially what they're going to say is, listen, nobody's he's not going to throw it behind us <laughs> because he's afraid of the pass yeah. rush. Their offensive line isn't that good. He's not going to have enough time. So one time in the first quarter, you always want to throw it deep, mostly like on a corner route. Yeah. You probably end up throwing it out of bounds. But it's just in the safety's head and it's in the quarterback's head. And that's how you get open underneath, right? Yeah, that's yeah. how they overplay you a little bit and then you can stop and, and, and be open in that regard. Well, so. and, and I think he threw two deep balls. I think one to Nelson on a free play and he threw one to Cobb when he was covered by A.J. Klein. That's something I wanted to bring up when you're talking about separation. Mm-hmm. So they didn't consistently do it. Right. Those were kind of iffy plays. 
you got one receiver making ten million a year, the other one's making nine million well, a year. You gotta come down with one of those fifty fifty balls, even if they're not perfect. You know you have to step up for your brand new quarterback to see ni- neither of those get caught. It, I mean, it's not damning to either of those guys, but it's disappointing. Yeah, and when you pay a receiver like, and and that's the trouble with paying somebody uh, on one or two years really good. Um, you know, you pay somebody. Uh, like like Julio Jones because he's faster than everyone else, he's bigger than everyone else. You're paying for potentially he can outplay everybody out there in mm-hmm. those fifty fifty balls. You don't really have that. I mean, uh, Jordy's been productive enough to have earned his contract. Sure, absolutely. Cobb is one year. Yeah, I, I I really never loved that signing. To be perfectly honest with you, I think he's a good guy. I think he's a very good slot receiver. But to pay him $10 million a year, um, you know, remember I, at the beginning of this podcast uh, a couple of months ago, I was wondering whether he even makes the team. And so, yeah. um, I, you know, a 31-year-old person who's not bigger, stronger, or faster than anybody else is tough to pay $10 million a year. Yeah, so th- there's a lot of those things going in, and it started out okay, but you got the sense just seeing how the Saints were moving the ball. And to me, the the, the part of the game where I really started to think – no matter what happens by halftime, I don't think they're going to be able to win, is they got two interceptions from Drew Brees. They had three straight third and ones. They missed one running with Jones. They missed one running with Montgomery, and they missed one trying to throw. And at that point, it's like you have to feel as a team. You you sense this with the team in 13. You sense it with them yesterday after that third miss that they know that Aaron Rodgers is their team. Sure. It's not like 2010 when you had Matt Flynn in there when those guys are like, Aaron's great, we love him, but we're a great team. Uh That team was not afraid to go with Matt Flynn into New England. This team seems afraid to play at home against the team that hasn't made the playoffs in three years. Well, you know, go back. So, again, always is it schemers at players. Those play calls on third and one. I mean, oh, my goodness, the first one, you know, Jones is averaging five or six yards a carry. Uh, and I've got to say, in a positive thing, so I don't want to be negative yeah. here. I want to talk about some really positive things. Uh, if the if, if fans want to go back and say, well, why could we run the ball? We went from a, from a very specific zone blocking scheme, which we've been doing for the last four or five years, where everybody, you know, just uh, all the linemen move to the left, and then they just, the, uh, the running back looks for a hole. Well, what you saw is you saw some trap blocking going on. And not only that, you saw trap blocking coming in from a tight end coming from the yep. outside back in and cutting off the backside or or uh you know trapping somebody who is a defensive lineman that's why we could run the ball up the middle so i got to tell you i'm super thrilled that somebody yeah. said zone uh, you know zone running's okay if you can throw the ball we may not be able to throw the ball so they did something different which yeah. i was very very excited about very excited about Aaron Jones to throw that sh- that ball on third and one that's on hard, Hunley, right? Hard to understand. Well, you should have a run-pass option. I thought he did, and then he pulled it back. So. Yeah, I, I was emailing you last time. Like, yeah. like, this is as simple as counting the box, right? Yeah. So the box, for those of you who don't know, is the defensive lineman and the linebackers. And if there's seven people in the box, you have a you have what's called a, 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 an even box. Mm-hmm. Right? You have as many blockers as you do with the tight ends as you do people. If you have eight in the box, you have an extra person. That's called a heavy box, and you don't want to run into that. You want to check into a pass. Mm-hmm. And then if you have six in the box, then you have a light box, and you want to always run into that. Yeah. So it's really a simple math problem. Yeah. You just count the number of people in the box. Uh, but on third and one, when you're running it that well, um, you know, at some point, you got to be men and just run some people over. I'm telling you. Well, you know, they, we say if they can't get a yard on third and one, then they don't deserve to win, and here we are. And then 
Uh, listen, I, I would love for the Ty Montgomery experiment to end. I, yeah, I, I emailed you and told you that he should start trying out for Dancing with the Stars <laughs> because his ability to dance behind the line of scrimmage, uh, he just looks like a very different runner than Aaron Jones, and Aaron Jones looks like a, a, a real running back, a real NFL running back. So let's just stop that whole thing. You've got three rookie running backs. You can put, I think, uh, Montgomery would be great as an H-back or in the slot. Let's just... Enough. Let's mm-hmm. put people where they belong, for goodness sakes. We had a lovely flash in the pan last year. But, listen, we have two games in a row where Aaron, uh, Aaron Jones is a real NFL running back. Mm-hmm. There we go. Let's Ab- just go. Absolutely. And I'm almost ashamed of myself that I didn't look this up. But that's got to be near the top for a rookie uh, performance in terms of yards for Aaron Jones. I am almost 100% sure that Eddie Lacy had 150 yards in the game. Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone in 2013. Okay. But Aaron Jones, 17 carries for 131 yards and a touchdown. Reading that, so there's two things. One, you get to learn what it was like for the Vikings with Adrian Peterson and for the Lions with Barry Sanders is that if you don't have any of the other parts, running the ball well doesn't matter. Right, right, exactly. But on the flip side, this was a one-score game until four and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. Why 17 carries for a quarterback who is averaging fewer yards per pass attempt than your running back is rushing? Yeah, that's a that's a damning stat, isn't it? Um, that that you're getting more yards per carry than you are per per throw. And and not only that, but what you didn't see is you didn't see a lot of play action pass, right? Mm -hmm. Why do we run the ball? We run the ball so we can go play action pass, get the linebackers to take a step up and then throw to the tight ends behind them. It's again, 50 years of football. None of this has changed. And so we were running the ball really well. What you see, what you see uh, New Orleans do. Okay. So New Orleans is, I think New Orleans offense is a really good example of what the Packers offense should be. Yeah. Okay. Um, they have they have a really tall receiver. They have good slot receivers, but but Drew Brees play actions as well as just about anybody out there. Mm-hmm. And so first they had Ingram running the ball, and once they they got the play action, they got their their uh, middle of the field involved. They had some crossing routes, which again we're getting destroyed by crossing routes, that and we four, never use them ourselves. Right. That forty-seven yarder was just a, mm-hmm. an outside pass where he cut across the field. Um, so so I think if you want to see what we can be. I think the New Orleans Saints offense is a really good example of it. So so 60% throwing, 40% running, but the running sets up the passing. Absolutely. So Aaron Jones, it looks like they have a diamond in the rough, and hopefully he'll be here for years to come. Um, it's exciting, even if the, the Packers are going to struggle to win games. At least we found our Sam Congato for the year. <laughs> um, and hopefully he ends up having a better career. And I believe Sam Congato did fulfill his promise to become a doctor, so he's doing so better he's, things. he's for fine society. now, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, let's talk just for a second uh, yeah. uh, about, um, and again, not, Negative. We talked about defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm here to tell you, I'm I'm on the ledge, ready. To, the next time we put two down linemen yeah. against a team that can run the ball for five or six or seven yards of play, yeah, two down linemen. I, I don't like I we talked about this I don't know how that works mm-hmm. and so we came out with three down linemen and guess what we stuffed it stuffed it stuffed it and it worked so well we stopped doing it so that was my biggest complaint yesterday yeah. is we did things really well and then we just stopped doing them yeah it seemed like that on uh, both sides of the ball uh, I definitely want to get to the defense real quick uh, before we transition away from the offense I want to do a good bad for Hunley sure so Brett Hunley my opinion he was more athletic than he thought he that I thought he was. Going back to our uh, Jordy Nelson is just like Rob Gronkowski joke. <laughs> hearing everyone talk about Brett Hundley like he was Michael Vick, I had reason to be a little bit skeptical. It's I remember them saying 
before the draft at times that Byron Leftwich was a dual threat. And oh, I'm like, goodness um, no. <laughs> he's not. Like, let's not forget the quarterback we just lost is also a heck of an athlete. Right. So for you to be a better athlete than Aaron Rodgers, you have to show it to me on the field. Hunley definitely showed that. And maybe he wasn't quite comfortable in the way he played. But the guy can run and chew gum at the same time through the entire <laughs> he literally game. literally was chewing gum through the whole game. That's so he awesome. at least feels relaxed, I think. He's that got was bubble very tape good. in his hand. I, you know, the viewers can't see me, but I'm genuflecting now. That was a really, really good one, Eric. That was uh, our, our biggest uh, highlight of the first half was like, they're showing him in slow motion, dodging people, breaking tackles, and in slow mo, you see his teeth just chomping <laughs> just away at the gum. While he's like, running. wow, this guy's pretty cool. You know, I've been seeing this the whole time when people were, you know, saying we should get Colin Kaepernick. We have that skill set right here. Yeah. His name is Brett Hundley. If if you're looking for an athletic quarterback with a big arm who may who, or may not accurately throw the ball, right? Exactly. We have, you know, we have a younger version of that here, and so. Um, I think he showed more poise in the pocket than I thought he was going to. I think he didn't freak out when the pass rush came and he rolled out a couple of times. I was surprised there weren't more naked bootlegs for him where he had yeah. run pass options because he was made for the RPOs. He was run, made for run pass options. Um, and, I, you know, I, I really, you know, we've got another week mm-hmm. and, and I and hope that hopefully they use the bye week. I know McCarthy's got a really good record coming out of the bye week. You know, this is not a backup quarterback to be embarrassed with. Yeah. It's one to, to kind of grind your teeth. We've been so blessed and so spoiled for so long. Yeah. When 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 Aaron Rodgers throws a pass, we fully expect the receiver's gonna be there and he's gonna catch yeah. it. And if you watch other teams, that's not the case and we're just we're just back to average now. Absolutely. I think we're not ready to throw in the towel on Brett Hundley by any means. Uh, maybe it was just a rough first game. Weather was terrible mm-hmm. as well. Didn't wasn't conducive to throwing the ball. Mm-hmm. Even Drew Brees, as, as many yards as he had, he didn't have his best game either. Right. And you know, for Drew Brees, three hundred and thirty-one yards is like eighty-seven for a lot of quarterbacks. <laughs> you know, they'll lose forty-five to three and somehow have four hundred and fifty yards. Right. The thing that um, I think Brett needs to figure out is either him or McCarthy. They got to find the, a way to at least take some more shots downfield. If they have 87 or 100 yards passing after next week against Detroit at home again, I think then that's an indictment of somebody. Either Hunley's not willing or McCarthy, given three years in a draft pick, is not as good at developing as as we might hope he is. Yeah, and again, even though I said it earlier that you don't necessarily want to throw over the middle of the tight ends because you're afraid they'll get picked off. Well, but if you throw on time, the tight end is your absolute – best friend as a yeah. new quarterback you, you know you've got an enormous target in the middle of the field wearing a different color jersey you pretty much throw it to him and he's only like seven yards away um and we paid some money and we yeah. we got some really talented tight ends and we i i think it's fair to say we really haven't used them very well so mm-hmm. i think it's a matter of getting comfortable uh i think you know jordy jordy had a catch or two where they looked like they were had had some chemistry going on um, it, you know, it just takes time. We don't want to hear that, but it takes time. Absolutely. One thing that I that you pointed out, I wanted to give you credit for this and give you a, a moment to speak on it. I thought the offensive line wasn't playing very well, and at times it looked like Bulaga and Bakhtiari are still trying to get back from injury. But you mentioned that Brett Brett Hundley's cadence was not helping his offensive line at all. Right. So so about um, you know we are we are prone to really being proud of when Aaron Rodgers. Uh, gets people to jump off sides. Well, it's because his cadence is, I mean, he's practiced it forever. When you're a brand new quarterback, what you've got running through your head are the plays and where's the receiver going to be and who's my second read and which way do I turn from taking the snap to hand the ball off. And so Hunley was going on one all the time, you know, 
hut and and everyone going. Well, yeah. you could see into the second quarter that they were starting to tee off. Now he did go on uh, his count on two once, and we got an offsides penalty. Yep. We kind of got a free play. It didn't turn into anything other than a five yard penalty. But but when you're teeing off like that, uh, you know your cadence is really the only defense you have for that. And um, and as a young quarterback, you forget that you're just yeah. your mind is so full of everything else. And so but go back and watch the tape. And I would say he only went on something other than one about three times in the whole game. And if you're taking 50 snaps, uh, if I'm a defensive lineman, I know how to time that up pretty well. And uh, it's something that you learn as you mm-hmm. mature as a quarterback. And uh, and he'll get better at that. But I think it's something that he's he can help himself with. Yeah, and easy to correct. Right, presumably. absolutely. Sure. Okay, so now it's time to tee off on the people who perhaps deserve it most, and that's Dom Capers and the defense. So they got two interceptions early in the game. Mm-hmm. One was in the end zone. One was, what, at like the 15? A really good pick. Yeah, really. Yeah. Like House's pick was a really good pick. House's yeah. pick was really good. Demarius Randall is this team's Terrell Buckley. <laughs> I don't think he's very good, but he always finds a way to get to the ball. Maybe he's Darren Sharper. Yeah, great position. No, it was yeah. perfect coverage, great position. Yeah. But you feel like if Drew Brees would have thrown it to the back line, yeah, he right. was toast. Right, probably. Yeah, there but you, go. you can't take it away from him. A good play is a good play. Sure. I, I tend to defend T-Buck that people think he was Ahmad Carroll. I'm like, well, he... He definitely wasn't a shutdown guy, but he retired with like 50 interceptions, so he can't that be that bad. That doesn't happen by accident. But here's the thing I wanted to point out. So yesterday, the Packers gave up 485 yards of offense to oh the New Orleans God. Saints. It was the 18th time in Dom's tenure with the Packers that they've given up 450 yards or more. That's tied for third most in the NFL over that span since 2009. Of the team, so every team obviously has given up 450 at some point right. in the last eight seasons. New England. Green Bay and Baltimore are the only teams to have winning records in those instances. Obviously, New England's got Tom Brady. The Packers in most of those games have had Aaron Rodgers, although Matt Flynn, because of course, is (laughs) 2-1 in games in which they gave up 450 yards. And then Baltimore had six wins, five of which were before 2012 when they still had Ed Reed and Ray Lewis, and they were a top-five defense all those years and were near the top of the league in turnovers. So it's kind of a weird, quirky stat. League-wide, if you give up 450 yards or more, you lose almost two or over two-thirds of those games. You lose if you give up 450 yards. So what this means is if you don't have a franchise quarterback and you give up that many yards, you are going to lose. You're going to lose, absolutely. And yet Dom's game plan seemed to be designed to do just that. I didn't see any changes. Uh, you, you know, you you know you can't outscore the opponent. So I'm sorry I jumped the gun earlier no, it, talking about the defense, but I trying to be really positive yeah. on the front end here and see the you know the glass half full. But on the defensive side, super hard to see something uh, the glass half full. Nothing changed. Uh, like it's it was the same coverage, the same crossing routes got us. Um, Even on the picks, they drove all the way down the field. It's like they played the game like. We get a couple of turnovers. Aaron will bail us out. We'll be fine. We had uh, Corey Bend. We had a, a couple of other our, of our uh, our commenters that we'll get to later that said, well, if Aaron was there, they probably would have been up 17 nothing at least. But Aaron's not there. But Aaron's not there. So so you have to adjust. And, and you know, we, we keep going back to this idea that Dom's saying, you know, it worked five years ago or it worked eight years ago. Just give it some time. Well, he's been coaching it for 30 years. Yeah. I mean, I'm not exactly sure how much time. And and not only that, you need splash plays. Remember we talked about this mm-hmm. last week. You need interceptions. You need somebody to return a punt for for a touchdown or give you a short field. You need fumble recoveries. And um you know, th- those 
those plays that we got interceptions on, that wasn't because of pressure. There's great no. coverage, right? So th- th- almost no pass rush. How many uh, how many sacks did we have on Drew Brees? I have no idea. Well, let, let's just say I, it this I don't way. Any. He doesn't need a dry cleaner for his uniform <laughs> uh, this week because uh, – Hey, we got a bunch of Packers patented almost sacks. There we go. We were super close. Um, I don't remember him getting sacked once. As a matter of fact, I, I – uh, you know, please correct me. If one, I'm, one sack, one sack. Yeah. Um, so in a, in a defense where you have to create turnovers and you create turnovers by pressure, no pressure. Um, and again, two down linemen and two outside light linebackers are, you're rushing four. So you say, Hey, we're rushing four. Well, you're rushing four people who have probably, you know, 1100 pounds against five or six people who all weigh three up, uh, you know, it's essentially a, five or six hundred pound difference against you. Yeah. And then you're shocked that you can't get there. So I didn't see corner blitzes. I didn't see safety blitzes. I didn't see anything that that would be a surprise to Drew Brees. And if he's thrown for 38 points the last five times against you and you don't change your defense, well, he's not going to change what he's going to do. He's like, you're going to give it to me? Okay. I don't know how you still have a job, but Okay. Well, that's the thing that's so frustrating is I'd hear people call in on some radio shows and say, wow, Josh Jones had a bad game and um, uh, Kevin King got just whooped on that touchdown. These are true. But Drew Brees threw for 400 yards when you had prime Clay Matthews, prime Nick Collins, Charles Woodson, prime Tremont Williams all on the field. He did the same thing when you had Julius Peppers and Morgan Burnett and Micah Hyde. It's the same script with different actors it's scheme or players and when we, we whether you think we have the players now we sure as heck had the players then <laughs> and the scheme just gets the scheme is like swiss cheese it looks like a game plan that is designed by a college coach that is attempting to play in an era where you get tons of yards you get tons of points nowadays in college mm-hmm. But if you dial up a pressure, even five or six guys, you can either confuse them and, as we saw on the Mike Daniels pressure, he hit Drew Brees, but Drew Brees found a soft spot in the zone, lofted it up, and let his receiver run underneath that. The third-string quarterback of Maryland can't do it, so it's okay to do that in college. You cannot do that in the NFL. 20 of the guys who were starting yesterday can make that throw. And think of the think of the defenses that have been really good for the years. They're not good because they're just coverage. They put pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, you know we, why is Seattle's uh, why is Seattle's defensive backfield so good? Now, very good players, yeah. no question about it. But you have people under duress and under who are throwing balls they shouldn't throw. And you know Drew Brees, Drew Brees yesterday shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah, seeing the same defense with the same players. Um, I you know. I, if at halftime were to say, well, listen, do you have a, do you have the game plan we used three years ago? Cause there seems like we're playing the same defense. Why don't we just use that? Let's not spend any time on it. Cause I, I don't see yeah. a reason to change. Well, I, I imagine Dom sitting down and Mike's like, well, what do you got this week? Well, coach Bobby a bear is never going to see these coming because <laughs> he's just so far behind the times with everything. Here's another quick stat for you. So Aaron Rodgers in games when the other team has had 450 yards or more of total offense is 8-6. and six. As okay. I said, Matt Flynn is 1-2. and two. Brett Hundley's now 0-1. The Packers also, because of their offensive performance, they were outgained by 215 yards. That was the total yards margin between the two teams on offense. Teams that were outgained by 200 yards since the there's been 32 teams in uh-huh. the league, yep. so roughly 15 years. Teams that have been outgained by 200 or more yards are 43 and 346, <laughs> oh my goodness. and lose by an average of 19 points. 
So the Packers were lucky to only lose by nine, and the stats suggest that even had Aaron Rodgers played, this would have been a one-score game at best. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, And, and, you know, so again, we go back to this defense. So first of all, so what that says going into the game is we've got to put pressure on them because when we don't, they they put up 38 points. The only reason you don't pressure a quarterback is because you're afraid to give up big plays. But if you're averaging giving up 38 points a game, Mm -hmm. you can put that one on the shelf because (laughs) you're clearly giving up. You're you're giving that up already. So you've got to bring pressure from somewhere. And, it's you know, it can't be this cross-buck A blitz that that Dom's been using for the last 20 years. you know, I have really hung in there with him. I really have. And and I think good defensive coordinators adapt and adjust. And I just don't see any adapting. And I don't see any adjusting. And I don't see any changes coming the rest of this year. And, you know, you and I had even talked about it. Is, yeah. is the bye week a time to make a change? You know, if, if it I, was it, any other team, he'd be gone. Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. I think there's a loyalty thing that goes on. But more importantly, you have this bye. Heck, make him a special advisor. You know, yeah. Winston Moss, you, you mentioned this. Winston Moss is a brilliant defensive mind and, and, you know, should have been a defensive coordinator five years ago. So you have his predecessor, why would you wait until the season's over? Yeah. You know, don't even fire Dom. Don't, you know, I understand that you want to let him go with his pride and make him a special coordinator, make him whatever, um, and, and let Winston Moss put in his own stuff because I'm telling you, we, we know exactly what's going to come if we don't make a change. Absolutely. And uh, we've been talking about this for five and a half seasons yep. now on Green yep. Go Forever. It's getting tired talking about Dom and you know, as we were saying before, it's been how many talent cycles that he's had now, and he's had one winner out of almost a decade of defenses now, and there's been some really good players that have come through this place. Well, if, and if Curly Lambeau figured him out, you know, then he's probably <laughs> yeah. not going to work any better now. I, I would think so. <laughs> but, Dom, you should see how he's going to stop the single wing, though. I mean, he's got it figured out. <laughs> so so there was a really funny – you were texting, you and I were texting back before. I have to share this with the listeners. So I said, um, I said, you know, we should – we should just we should let Dom retire and buy him, you know, buy him a Model T and send him on his way. <laughs> and you responded what? Would you remember what you said? Oh, thanks, coach. A new car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <So. laughs> uh, now I'm a 55-year-old guy, and I'm not really into age bashing, but but you can have old coaches with new ideas. I see yeah. o- I see an old coach with old ideas. Yeah, Wade Phillips certainly isn't sure. uh, having a problem adjusting to the times. I so. think so. Okay, one thing I did want to bring up before we transition into some of our uh, great comments and questions off of the Facebook page is Bob McGinn, who I would assume most of you know, but he's he was a longtime beat writer for the Packers at both the Green Bay Press-Gazette and the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, just recently retired. Um, I guess the itch to work came back, so he founded his own website called BobMcGinnFootball.com. I'm just saying that because this is where I got this. I'm not, you know, it's yeah. not an endorsement or anything, but... Bob McGinn's always been a little bit of he's had an edge to his reading. I don't okay. know if, if you've read him, but he's always he'll he'll be really harsh even when he was worried about getting access to players. Mm-hmm. Now that he doesn't have to worry about getting access to players, holy cow does he just let loose and he was very um <laughs> Uh, he just tore into everybody, uh, particularly uh, Mike McCarthy in the defense. He called them mannequins on defense wow. um, and a lot of things. But here's one comment that he is saying here that many people have echoed. And he mentions how the Vikings are essentially down to their third string quarterback. So mm-hmm. the Packers are using an excuse that, well, our offense doesn't work because we're with our backup. And, you know, maybe our defense 
isn't able to do the same things because our offense, or the, the other team's offense isn't afraid of our offense, and so they're taking more chances. And he makes the comment that the Vikings are down to their third string quarterback. And with Case Keenum, they're three and two as a starter. They're four and two with him as the quarterback of record, yes. meaning the leading passer of the game. And they beat a 500 Baltimore team yesterday. Keenum didn't throw a touchdown pass, but the Vikings still prevailed. And so this is something I really wanted to look into because we've all echoed this. The Packers need to build a team that isn't so reliant on Aaron Rodgers. This is true. Has that ever existed in the history of the NFL? That's what I wanted to look okay. up. So I have some statistics for you, Chris. So I looked at... This is just kind of inexact, and I was plucking different players out to kind of test to see how this was. But I took franchise quarterbacks, and I saw what happened in their careers when they either were injured and couldn't finish a game, and the other quarterback that came in had about equal um, production in Mm -hmm. terms of pass attempts. They either didn't play at all due to injury or being held out late in the season, or they started through a few passes and came out. This is typically when their teams have clinched playoff berths. Okay. So Aaron Rodgers, when he is not the leading passer for his team, is three and nine. When he was the preferred starter and was not the, um, I'm sorry, the Packers are three and nine. When Aaron Rodgers is um, not playing the majority of the game when okay. they expected yep. him to, yep. does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that sounds terrible. Tom Brady, on the other hand, he's the most oft-cited one. How good the New England Patriots are. The Patriots are 17-10 and 10 when Brady either doesn't finish a game or doesn't play at all during his wow. career. Wow, so, I didn't realize that, but that's a glaring difference. That's a glaring difference. However, like most things in the modern era, the Patriots are the enormous exception. Okay. The Colts were 4-19 and 19 when Peyton Manning was not the leading passer for the Colts. That's, you know, he never missed a game, but... This is including the whole season when they thought they were going to have him and he didn't play, and also when they'd pull him from a game early. Mm-hmm. Tony Romo's Cowboys, 10-26 and 26 when he left a game with injury or didn't was out due to injury. If you include, even if you include all of last year with Dak Prescott, that only takes him to 23-30. and 30. Mm-hmm. So still a losing team. Um, if you go to Drew Brees, he's been, it's amazing that Drew Brees, they were worried about him being durable. <laughs> and he only hasn't been the leading passer for the Saints four times in the last 11 years. But they lost all four of those games okay. and lost them by almost 10 each. Then going to kind of spot checking all of these, I was looking at crazy ones. Who's one of our models for a team that is just great regardless of the quarterback? 90s Cowboys. Okay. In the 90s, so I'm not counting Aikman at his very worst at the end and beginning of his career. During the 90s, when Troy Aikman didn't play for the Cowboys or left due to injury, the Cowboys were 15 and 14. So about 500. That great, great team was 500 without Troy Aikman. The 49ers, in the, from 1980 to 99, during their absolute best streak, yeah, their right. dynasty decade, if either Steve Young or Joe Montana, or, excuse me, if somebody other than Joe Montana or Steve Young was the leading passer in the game, they were 29 and 33. What this tells me is that unless your, your coach is Bill Belichick, or in Bart Starr's case, during the Lombardi years, the Packers were 17 and 7 without him. Okay. Everybody else is either 500 or below. If your coach is not Bill Belichick or Bart Starr, you can't build a team that is going to be centered around an elite quarterback and be able to succeed without him. Well, you know, so so the analysis doesn't lie 
and I was listening to a, a podcast um, or, or a show <clears throat> with Brady Papinga on it. Uh, Brady Papinga is the former linebacker, and he got let go uh, in the 2010 season after uh, after that season. And he said he was literally brought into Ted Thompson's office when he let go. He said, we're going to build an offense. We're going to spend all our time, money, and effort around surrounding Aaron with talent because we're going to outscore people. And and so they did that, and it worked for a while. But but now you've made yourself unbelievably dependent on one player, and uh, you know we're just lucky that he hasn't missed more games. But that's a very what I'm saying is a very purposeful thing. Yeah, you did it yeah. with Peyton Manning. You did it with uh, a number of the other players. And when that when that snake bites you, uh, it bites hard. Yeah, and again, I'm going really sad heavy on a podcast. But to me, what that illustrates, and what Brady Papinga said, and what Ted Thompson had told him. You can't have both. Hmm. You can do better. So the Packers, 3-9 and nine without Aaron Rodgers. 3-8 and eight when Brett Favre left the game early, by the way, so it's kind of similar. Yeah, right. They're always parallel to each other right. and everything. So Rodgers, the, the McCarthy Packers without Rodgers have been worse than any of these other on the list. I'll, I'll link this on the website so people can look along. Okay. But the fact is, you're not going to build a team that's 11-5, 12-4 with Aaron Rodgers, and that level of competition without him. Bill Belichick's about the only one who's figured out how to do it in the modern age. Well, and every team that's really done well has either a dominant... I mean, very few teams have a dominant defense and offense, yeah. right? So so it, the Ravens, the Bears, super dominant defense. They spend their time, they spend their money, they spend their coordinator money on having a dominant defense and, a, and a, an average or slightly above average offense. Or you have a really dynamic offense and you have kind of a kind of an average defense. And so I, I think what your point is, you kind yeah. of have to make a choice. Absolutely. And, and, and very often when people choose an offense, um, you know, on defense, if you lose one player, it's very, very rare. Yeah. But but if you think about it, the, the quarterback is making twenty or twenty five million dollars. You don't have twenty five million dollar no. defensive players. So when you lose that one player, the, the the cap hit. In other words, the number of players you can surround them with is much smaller. Uh, you know, on offense than it is on defense. And so you know, it's a it's a bet that you make, and it's a bet that um that I think a lot of teams have lost along the way. And you can't rebuild your team midseason. So we rebuilt we built our team perhaps more poorly than some of the others with the super bar, superstar quarterback. Yep. However, you're essentially in the same position that the Colts were with Peyton Manning, and now you don't have Peyton Manning, and in this case you don't have Aaron Rodgers, and you are what you are. Well, and then go back to the last six first and second round draft choices all be on defense. So we're saying we build, we're putting all this effort into it, but we've drafted like crazy for defense yeah. and just have made and just, just have not made great choices. So, Although, let me just yeah. say this. Kenny Clark is a man. Yeah, he is. He, he is. is a man. Did you see him running down behind that screen? Yeah. Now? Holy Mastacholi. I'm <laughs> telling you, that 330-pound guy – was was I mean he wasn't running down the running back but he was staying darn you know right yeah. even with him. That's impressive. We 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 have a gem there. So imagine what would happen if more than just him and Daniels were on the line most plays. You mean like so? Are you talking about the fact that we have five legitimate, really really good defensive tackles? It's probably the deepest thing that we have on defense, and we choose to play two of them, even though our outside linebackers are are one of our weaker areas now, and there's nothing behind the first two that starts, and that our that our cornerbacks have been decimated, yeah. and so we, we, the one thing we're strongest at, yeah. We take a guy off the field. It yeah. just 
But that formation would destroy the run and shoot. Chris. Well, there you go. So when they when that comes, maybe we're just waiting for that. So we'll, <laughs> everything cycles. If it were flag football, man, I'm telling you, we would have championship belts <laughs> raised already. Absolutely. All right. So again, I'll post that uh, chart on the website. Thanks, Chris, for making sense of some of these crazy things. But I guess the whole point is that if the Cowboys pre-free agency and the 49ers pre-free agency with Aikman and Emmett Smith and Irvin and Young and Montana and Rice couldn't be dominant when your quarterback's gone, what chance do the Packers have in the salary cap? Right. I, I, I think that's right. We, we, you know, we, we've bet an awful lot, and, and um, sometimes you roll snake eyes, and, and that's what we've done. Absolutely. So you got to learn to deal with it. So before we go to our Facebook comments, is there anything else from yesterday that you want to well, bring Well, let's talk, let's talk about uh, – let's leave on a really positive note because the Packers have a week to, to figure it out. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I, I would really look for some scheme changes. Like, for example, McCarthy going to trap blocking and uh, and some of those inside runs. I think was brilliant. It makes all the sense in the world. And and you saw a really great result. Mm-hmm. Aaron Jones is our running back. How about yep. we just stop there? Like, how about we just stop there? Aaron Jones is our guy. Um, and and everybody else has to find their other place. And the Montgomery experiment uh, experiment is over. Yeah. Uh, um, on defense. We have, you know, we have really good defensive linemen, uh, and we've still yet to see. You know, I keep I keep pulling for uh, uh, our guy Montrevious, Montrevious Adams. So hopefully we see him. But you're you're never going to see him if you only have two defensive linemen yeah. on there. Uh, Clark's Clark's a man. Martinez has really come around. He yeah. plays fast. Um, Clinton Dix. Yeah. Uh, wow. I, I so so it, tell me if it's just me, but you know, really outstanding. You know, we we hold him out, or he's yeah. held out as really this all-pro elite kind of safety. I don't see him breaking on routes. No. I, I don't see him. I don't see him with big hits on receivers, busting him up from the ball. I I I see him getting receptions when the ball is tipped. Yeah, I see him within five yards of the receiver when he's in his zone. But it's like he's playing zone on every single play. And uh, you know, we had a rule with our with our uh, safeties is that. You know, after four seconds, you have a mental clock. After four seconds, you break on whatever route is in your area. Yeah. Okay. Because makes sense. Because the the, the goal is if your defensive line, you know, because you could you give up a good play because the defensive lineman couldn't get there. Yep, you totally can. Yeah. But you're going to bet that by, uh, at four seconds, the the quarterback has to make a decision, and you just go to the the place. Yeah, he'll at least be off his spot, and he's looking to exactly. Do something. Yeah. It seems like Haha's standing there waiting for something to come to him. And then, like, when he makes a tackle 17 yards downfield, he gets up and he kind of claps his hands. And, well, that's not really the safety I had in mind when they took him in the first round. What do you, what do you see? Well, I already called him Darren Sharper either last week or a couple of weeks ago. And, I mean, acknowledging that Darren Sharper is one of the worst human beings, <laughs> from a football standpoint, his biggest problem was being too reactive, and Haha's playing a little bit basketball defense out there. It seems like like he's guarding the, the goalpost. Like it, yeah, he's protecting the goalpost. It's like well, you got to do something. And to me, a microcosm of his season so far, and a lot of what I've seen from him is that. So I think it was a third down where I want to say Michael Thomas caught the ball. Okay, and then he's rolling to cover it up, but he's not touched, and he knows that. And Haha knows that. He's like, oh my, he's not touched. So Thomas gets back up, and Haha engages him, and Thomas brushes him off and gets the first down. <laughs> right. I like, remember that play. It's like I see why the coaches see a lot in him because he's a bright guy. Um, he seems to know what he has to do, but he 
can't seem to do it with any kind of you consistency. You have to pull the trigger. And I think what, what happens in the safety is you have to be okay. You have to have a short memory, right? When you commit to something or when you break on a route or you break on the ball, listen, sometimes it's going to go over your head. Now you want to be deeper than the deepest. And I think he's taken that to a whole new level. Yeah. <laughs> Never let anybody get – but but if you do that – and again, I'm sure Drew Brees has seen that in film study. And so you were, you were seeing all these things, all these passes get completed right in front of him. You know, he's he's – 20 yards deep and they're completing the pass 13 yards downfield and then he makes the tackle and we go oh that's just true but no <laughs> no see because if you always stay in the same place you know at some point you've got to break you've got to break on the slot receiver yeah, yeah. and you've got to have a rotation that comes around where the other safety uh, the other safety comes up and he plays the deep safety and you break on routes but it, it's um it's very confusing. Listen, we are not going to win games without getting more aggressive on defense because it's very clear that, that the uh, players at the NFL level can pick us mm-hmm. and just about any defensive part unless you provide some pressure or some surprises with what you're showing them. Yeah, hopefully somebody can step up, but they've had a lot of different talent back there and people that are a lot more talented. They had another 21 back there, and against really good defenses, he was helpless too. So yeah. I'd like to see HaHa do more, but again... Who knows how much more he can do right, with what Don's right. doing. All right, let's go to the Facebook page because we had some tremendous comments on there. So Eric Hansen, great fan of ours. Uh, he had a very interesting comment that I wanted to get to. Since I was lucky enough to be at the game yesterday, my commentary this week will be about two things. First will be my experience, and second will be my thoughts on the game and the team. My experience at the game was enjoyable, as it always is at Lambeau. I've got to say that in the first half when the Packers were winning, there was an amazing sense of hope that we could feel inside the stadium. It was just like, wow, even though our all-pro quarterback is hurt, we're still able to stay competitive with a good team. But then came the second half, and that hope was quickly turned to bitterness for most people in attendance. People seem to think this season and the run of the Packers making the playoffs every year was over. As I was leaving the stadium, I was caught up in some of that bitterness. However, I thought about it on my long drive home. That bitterness turned into gratitude. In my years as a Packers fan, I've seen two Super Bowl wins, three NFC Championship wins, countless playoff wins, and some amazing players like Favre, Woodson, Rodgers, Nelson... Reggie White and Leroy Butler play for the Packers. My friend, my friends who are Bears and Lions and Vikings fans can only dream of that. I'm grateful for all that the Packers have given me through the years. The atmosphere at the game was mostly good till about the fourth quarter when things really started going south. I didn't see too many Saints fans, but the ones I did see were respectful and polite, so thanks for being good sports. <laughs> now onto the game itself. I think there were some positives. Obviously, I think that they found a solution at the running back position with Aaron Jones and can end the Ty Montgomery experiment. Also, I think the offensive line had one of their best games of the season and did a great job of run blocking and pass protection for pretty much all of the game. The defense looked great in the first half, but then New Orleans made some adjustments and figured out that they could just throw slants, crossing routes, and checkdowns. There was no way the Packers could stop them. Now, finally, out of the passing game, it became apparent to me as the game went on that Hundley, for whatever reason, can't throw a deep ball right now. That's very concerning moving forward because I think other teams will put extra guys in the box to stop the run and take away short passes, which will take away all of their offense until they can throw deep. I'm not ready to say the season's done since they're 4-3 and three and going into a bye, but it's not looking promising at this point. And then I asked Eric, since he was at the game, if Hundley can't throw deep, why did he think that was? Was it because, uh, did he notice people downfield for Hundley and he wasn't seeing them or receivers just not open deep? And Eric was kind enough to reply, the answer is both. It's hard to say which was more prevalent. There were several times where a receiver appeared to be open deep early in the game, but either the ball wasn't thrown to that receiver or it was an off-target throw. But there were also times when the Saints just seemed to have everyone covered. That's pretty great analysis. Uh, he talked about a lot of things that we talked about and. 
Um, I wonder if he's available to give some advice uh, <laughs> during the bye week. I think uh, I think he could get like a little contracting job there. Yeah, uh, because he saw what we saw, and uh, and again, you keep wondering if it's that obvious to us. And we're we're not passive football fans. We're passionate yeah. football fans. Fans, but, but but if we see these things, then the people who are being paid two and a half million dollars to do it should see them as well. You would hope so, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. I'm wow. sure they see them, but maybe they just can't figure out how to stop them. Uh, Daniel Johnson, another one of our great fans. I just saw the highlights and read the stats. I think that the team has to play almost flawlessly to get wins here. There really isn't any bailing each bailing out each other with the defense not able to make a stop in the second half that made it more difficult for the offense. I think we need to keep Aaron Jones at halfback. He has been doing well. The defense made a couple of good plays, but it takes a whole game effort. That blocked extra point was good too. It is going to take plays like that to get wins this season. Uh, could you please discuss what I said last week about Super Bowl 32? Also discuss the Rams, Jaguars, and Chargers shutouts. Should the NFL have two bye weeks like they tried in 1993? And who is your favorite Packers backup in the Rodgers Favre era? So I wanted to get some uh, fun old school topics to talk about so that we're not so uh, negative. And so we got some good ones. So let's start with, um, as far as the Rams, Jags, and Chargers shutouts... Um, that is crazy for not only three shutouts in a week, but those three shutouts in a week. You really don't think of those teams as defensive juggernauts, so no. um, that's uh, that's a surprise. It shows it can be done. Um, and Denver's really the the eye opener because the Cardinals already didn't have David Johnson and then lost Carson Palmer right, early, exactly. and then the Jaguars were playing a Colts team, which is pretty hapless, and then um, Trevor Simeon looked like he was the answer after two weeks, and now. He looks like he should be on the bench. But they also can can run the ball usually. Yeah. They have a really they have a stout defense and and you know when you're playing against a stout defense you, pr- you usually end up having really long fields. So even though you you you're playing well on defense yourself, it doesn't really lend itself to give you uh, good points. So I, I think I think uh, what, what what you're also seeing is you're seeing teams that have traditionally been offensive based mm-hmm. and they've spent a lot of time and money cuz remember uh the Chargers they came and got our Casey Hayward which yep. we would probably give just about double what he was asking now to have him back yeah. but they've spent time and money fixing the defense cuz they know that you can't just win with offense mm-hmm. and and so they're doing what what I hope that we're doing going forward. All right, who's your favorite Packers backup in the Rodgers Favre era quarterback? Hmm. Wow. I guess it could be for any reason. There's no uh, no criteria here. Well, so. you know, you know, I I I love Flynn. But he was such a he was such a flash in the pan. Yeah. But that game against the Patriots, I loved so much because everyone said there's absolutely no chance, and 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 he played his guts out. And he's not that big a guy. Yeah. Uh, but he just has that winning spirit. So I'll go with Flynn. Yeah, I think it's got to be Matt Flynn. I mean, there's been some other fun ones in there. Uh, Craig Nall was like preseason Superman. It mm-hmm. was so fun in those years when Favre was so disinterested in the preseason and Doug Flutie, or I'm sorry, Doug Flutie, Doug Peterson <laughs> right. uh, just couldn't get anything going. And for whatever reason, they always had him ahead of Nall. And then Nall would come in the preseason. You'd be down like 21 to nothing. And you're like, no big deal. Nall will come back. <laughs> right. He almost always did. Um, and then you had some of the other guys that ended up making a lot of themselves but didn't really get much playing time. Matt Flynn. For a seventh-round pick that isn't the most athletic guy, there's just something magic about him in a Packers uniform. We always joked that he seemed to exist just as extra motivation to Aaron Rodgers to not get too full of himself. (laughs) Flynn's played, what, 
five starts for the Packers, and he's tied for the most touchdown passes in franchise history, tied for the most yards in a game in franchise history, and tied for the biggest single-game comeback in franchise history. And some of his other games are like the one he lost where he almost beat Tom Brady in Foxborough. He almost beat Ben Roethlisberger in the snow. He came back from 11 down in the second half to beat Matt Ryan. It's just... He's a Packer Hall of Famer in six games. Yeah, and, and remember, he's got winner written all over him because, remember, he, he got drafted in the seventh round, but he led LSU to a national title, if I'm not mistaken. And You're so, right, and their number one overall pick, Jamarcus Russell, like could hardly win the Peach Bowl. Oh, my gosh, I never quite understood that pick, but that's a whole <laughs> show unto itself. Um, but but I think I think you have uh, he's just a, he's a gritty guy he's a gritty guy who's a winner but obviously was very technically sound because you know he could throw the ball he wasn't the tallest guy in the world he certainly wasn't going to beat anybody with his legs but he's really really smart guy so absolutely he made the play that's classically he made the players around him better which is the sign of a really good quarterback absolutely all right moving on to Corey Ben's comment that went more or less exactly as expected we got a great game from Aaron Jones and the O line the defense got us a couple of big early turnovers and it still wasn't nearly enough if Rodgers is still playing I'm fairly confident we have them down 17 nothing after those picks and cruise the rest of the way what we saw without him is probably a representative sample of what we're likely to get for the rest of the season as for who's to blame I'm usually the first one to point the finger at McCarthy but while the game plan seemed a bit conservative I'm left wondering what else he's supposed to do in that case Aaron Jones was easily the best offensive player on the team yesterday and Hundley's accuracy was just not where it needed to be riding the running game as far as it would take us was the way to go well, uh, I think we'll go back to some of our comments earlier. When you have a brand-new quarterback, his best friend are tight end over the middle, screen passes, and flare passes to the running backs. Mm-hmm. Those are the easiest throws to make, and, and they're, not, they're not long throws at all. Um, I think the Saints threw something like seven screens, yeah, uh, and they were super effective. I think we tried one. And it was a disaster. <laughs> and it was a disaster. So I don't know if that's a timing thing with the offensive line or whatever. But, but again, there's, you know, there's 40 years here of history that says when you have a brand-new quarterback, you simplify the game plan, you run the ball, and you throw flare passes to the running backs, you throw over the middle for tight ends, and then you throw screens. And... Um, and so we didn't do anything yeah, like that. Yeah. There, there, there wasn't anything on time. There wasn't anything on rhythm. We didn't. We didn't screen people. We we we, ne- we neither overpowered them, ran faster than them, or outthought them. And so mm-hmm. I'm not sure how that that story ends well. I, I'd love to see with another week uh, what comes out of the bye. But I'll tell you, if you don't see some of that stuff coming out of the bye, it's going to, in my opinion, it's going to be a really long offensive year. Absolutely. And and Corey's got a great classic uh, topic that we want to discuss. But I'm going to get to Olmade's game question, and then we'll get both of the remaining classic. Um, Topics for us to discuss at the same time. All right, Olmade Mousley. Well, that was an interesting game. Uh, Olmade, I should say this, is another great fan. I, I don't want to say he's not great. They're all great They're fans. They're all great. But, uh, involved, yeah. These are the greatest ones, though, the ones that are commenting. Okay. Very if you're just listening <laughs> and not commenting, you're great, but you could be greater. We're not the greatest. You're not the greatest. But Olmade's one of the greatest. Well, that was an interesting game. It looked promising early on. Picking off a quarterback twice in the first quarter is great, especially against Drew Brees, but the defense squandered it. The Saints' pass slowly wore them down, and then they put it away. As for the offense, it was a mixed bag. The O-line did very well. Aaron Jones channeled his inner Amon Green with shades of 2013 Eddie Lacy's mentality of the team on my back. The tie experiment needs to end. He's got talent, but he isn't a running back. And now that they have one in Jones, there's no need for him.
for him to be where he is. Brett Hundley resorted to check down screens and missing on deep bombs. His ability to make deep throws is a very big concern and leaves me worried for what lies ahead. It's also apparent that either the receivers got shut down or couldn't make the plays, which is also big. I'm very worried with this team, and I feel that they will win around two to four more games down the stretch, which could leave us out of the playoffs and lead to serious talks about the future of this team. Hopefully everyone gets some rest next week because it's going to be a bumpy ride. That's a pretty good analysis. I don't have a ton to add to that. I think he's got the sentiments of a lot of people in Packer Nation uh, that flowed through that email. And, and I think you just always want to see progress. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think we saw progress. I thought we, I thought we saw some regression. Other than the running game, yeah. I think we saw regression on defense. We saw regression uh, on offense. And not just because the quarterback was different. You know, if you have really great wide receivers and, and they get open – a new quarterback can hit those people. Yeah, it's yeah. just it takes Aaron Rodgers. If somebody's only open by a half yard, that takes the accuracy of Aaron Rodgers. So you also have to think about our wide receivers. Yeah, because um, teams without Aaron Rodgers are getting wide. They're they're getting open. I mean, I feel like every week we're watching red zone or we're watching halftime, and we're like, granted, it's a sample bias right. because you're only getting the best when you're seeing this stuff, but. I don't remember the last time I saw a Packers touchdown where the guy's just standing there from a blown coverage getting a wide-open ball with nobody 10 yards in any direction of him. You see teams that stink getting those on a consistent... Maybe they're not getting every play that Rodgers is getting, right. but we don't get any of those. Well, that's a scheme thing, right? Yeah. That's, those are rub routes and those are pick routes. Well, you know, people don't want to talk about pick routes, but they absolutely yeah. exist yeah. Every, yeah. In, in every game. Um but but that those are you know that's scheme versus people and if you're just saying our fast guy is going to beat your fast guy you have a very short career in the NFL NFL stands for not for long yeah. if you're just going to try and be more athletic than the other person and so scheme is is the only thing we can control because our players are our players and let's see if we come up with something outside uh, out after the break absolutely all right going back to Corey Ben he has a great comment for us to talk for some classic packers uh, my favorite what-if episode you guys did was probably the one, what would have happened if the Packers had drafted Joe Montana? Now that you have a new co-host who was actually around to watch Montana Montana play, I'd love to hear his thoughts on the subject. Um, another good previously covered topic I'd be interested to hear him weighing in on are the 89-90 Packers teams and what would have happened if the 89 team had made the playoffs or if Mikowski hadn't injured his throwing shoulder just as he was heating up in 1990. So first things first, we did what if the... Um, 49ers had drafted Montana. Um, if the Packers had drafted Montana. Correct. If the okay. 49ers had drafted Montana, they would have won four Super Bowls. <laughs> um, I think they would have... You're a swami. You yeah. got that one almost yeah. exactly right. Man, I just know it all. So there was a scout that was begging Bart Starr yes. to take Joe Montana. It didn't end up happening. In the What If episode, I guessed that Montana probably wouldn't be the greatest of all time. Um, he had some tools that maybe would have lended itself to the type of offense that Lynn Dickey was running. Lynn Dickey got beat up. Mm-hmm. I thought that there was a there's a year in 1984 where they were 8-8, eight and eight, but statistically they were dominant, and I think they won seven of their last eight games. So obviously they lost seven of their first eight games. Right, right. Uh, so I speculated that sometime in there, because not only are the 49ers gone from history... If if he's on the Packers, right. then maybe you're just mulling it about with the Redskins and Giants and Bears, and then maybe that nucleus of the Packers that had tremendous offensive talent but shot themselves in the foot with turnovers a lot. You get a c- careful quarterback who can still make all the Lindicky throws. You got a shot somewhere in there to maybe win a championship. Uh, Matt disagreed. He didn't think that Montana would be that big of a difference maker. Um, so I guess 
What are your thoughts on Montana and the early 80 Packers, and what are your thoughts having seen Montana play and comparing him to some of the modern quarterbacks? So, okay, so this is, re- this is really fun because I get to use my age as an advantage here. <laughs> uh, watching Montana play, so first of all, the story of, of the, the, the scout begging them to draft Montana, and instead they drafted uh, uh, Rich Campbell, actually. Oh, God, are you serious? <laughs> Rich Campbell uh, in 1981 was the Packers' uh, draft choice, and... Um, uh, and he is it is it Rich Campbell? I, I don't know Rick because uh, Montana was drafted in seventy nine. Okay, okay, so I'm I'm a few years off. Um, but, but Rich so, Campbell was terrible. Yeah, right, oh. re- re- really terrible. So so there was absolutely a scout that said that we wanted to draft him, but he didn't he didn't fit a certain physical yeah. profile, and he didn't. I mean, he, Joe Montana is not a physical. A physical specimen as a quarterback, and so um, you know he's not. He doesn't have the size of even Rogers. He doesn't yeah. have the size of Roethlisberger, or doesn't have the size of <clears throat> Peyton Manning or any of those people. I, I think one of the cool things is that you say, well, he wouldn't have had Jerry Rice, but he would have had James Lofton. Yes, and I'm telling you, Loft. If you if you have not gone back to see Lofton in his prime, I'm telling you, he is. Uh, he he doesn't run routes quite as well as Rice. But he is he is smooth. I'm telling you, he is running past people, and he he looks effortless in doing it. And I think I think you've got an amazing combination there. Now, what you don't have is you don't have the 49ers defense because if you remember <laughs> in those championship years, they have a really fantastic defense as well. Yeah. And not every drive that Joe Montana has is 80 yards. You know, yeah. 10 plays and 80 yards. He got a lot of uh, a lot of short fields out of it. So I think you I think you win a number of uh, NFC titles. Uh, but I think it's much like we have now. I think yeah. you lose in the divisional round a lot yeah. because you uh, because you know unless you can run the ball and have a tough defense, your quarterback. Well, it would do exactly what Aaron Rodgers yeah. would do, right? You, you're you're going to score a bunch of points, um, and then you're you're not going to be able to close out games because if you can't run the ball, you can't close out games, and eventually you're going to have good offenses who uh, who beat you to the punch. So and and, uh, and think of the health aspect too, because you know Lynn Dickey he's small for modern quarterback standard, but by his standard, he was that big kind of Roman Gabriel prototype, and he got beat to a pulp. Oh, my gosh. That offensive line for the Packers was absolutely, you know, just nothing to write home about. And and Lynn Dickey was a super, super, super tough guy. Um, I will say this about Joe Montana. If If you've never watched him play, everything's on time. So remember we yeah. talked about in, in what we didn't see from Brett Hundley was we didn't see three steps and the ball's out, five yeah. steps and the ball's out. You know, the ball gets to him and he turns and fires. And if you watch um, any of the games with Joe Montana, everything's planned. Like yeah. like we're, we're really thrilled that Aaron Rodgers can make up plays in the dirt and stuff like that. Joe, uh, Joe Montana was not that guy at all. He was the ultimate system quarterback, and that is not a slam on him at yeah. all. He ran that West Coast offense, which was relatively new at the time, to perfection. If you watch some of his slant routes he throws, I mean, he's throwing them one yeah. yard behind uh, the the uh, the linebacker who's dropping, and he throws it before the receiver is even – it leaves his hand before the receiver even crosses the face. Yeah. He's even to the linebacker. <laughs> and so his timing and the trust of the offense – Yep. was just, you know, you, you make a great comment. He was playing chess while everybody else was playing checkers. Yeah. Um, and so if you haven't had the opportunity to watch Joe Montana, uh, if you want to see what it looks like when you play it exactly right and you do it exactly the way it's drawn up, that's that's the guy that you want to model after. So he, he would make for a great story. Uh, it would make for uh, it just the 80s wouldn't have been quite as bad. We would have, <laughs> But I think you'd see a lot of what we've been seeing lately 
which is kind of flame outs when you get to the to the best of the best. Surely that would have been better than eight and eight every year, and then four and twelve every year. After yeah, that. yeah. I, 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 well, you know, you, you always wonder like, is it worse to lose when you get close, or is it lose to never be in the picture? I think it, it, I think what would have happened, however, is you'd have gotten a lot of um, a lot of pub. Yeah. Uh, because loft, I, I'm telling you, Lofton. Yeah. I keep I just keep going back to this, but but so many people have never really watched Lofton because yeah. they're not young enough, and so they go, oh yeah, what is he doing in the hall? Of fame wow he was just gliding past people and um and was just the prototypical deep threat and if you if you want to see a play take take a look at the end around where he goes 80 yards and he makes everybody else look like they're running in wet cement you're talking uh, i think the dallas playoff game i think you are correct sir well done uh so, Beautiful. So now that Montana actually didn't come to the Packers, I don't know if everybody knew that. Mm, but okay, all right. He actually went to the 49ers. Uh, but he lost to the Magic Man, Don Mikowski, in 1989 in one of the bigger games from the gory years of the Green Bay Packers. The go- gory years. I love it. <laughs> I never heard that. And so for people my age, so I'm 30 years old, and, and people that are my age or close and are, are big Packer fans that are, are my age or younger – that don't have a first-hand recollection of 1989. So that's always kind of a season that captures a lot of our imagination. Uh-huh. It was a year they went 10-6 and six with Lindy Infante. They had been, what, I think they, the, the most games they had won in the previous five years was they won five in the strike year. Yep. And they had just drafted Tony Mandrich. They had just drafted Tony <laughs> Mandrich. They had drafted Brent Fullwood a couple of years yep, before right. that. They Actually, I mean, if you're thinking that you just have this great nucleus, you got Makowski and Fullwood in 87. In the first round of 88, you got Sterling Sharp. Yeah, right. And then you got Tony Mandrich, who um, I'm working on some different things that hopefully some days manifest. But um, <laughs> it, before the 89 season, they were talking about the most important Packers of the 89 season. And I think number three was Tony Mandrich, and it said – you don't need a left tackle until the year 2000. <laughs> yeah, uh, so so for those of you who didn't know, he is now known as one of the biggest busts of NFL history. I'm here to tell you, at that time, he was the obvious choice. Like everyone wants to rag on the Packers. How could you've not known? Well, it was a you know it was a pre-steroid era. Steroids were something that people talked about, but but this guy was. I mean, he was a road grader, and he was the just the hands down. Uh, obvious choice, and so do do I wish we'd made a different selection, but yes, but at that time you know you 've got a new quarterback, and now you have your left tackle yeah. those are you could check those boxes, and we felt like we had okay, we got two of the four boxes you have to check yeah. um, on uh, on a football team. And you, might, you had three because Tim Harris there you go. was crushing the world in eighty eight and in eighty nine had a monster season so so in that case. You know when when he when he comes in and and here's what you, you also have to remember Lindy Infante is pretty new around that yeah right second year yeah so he brings in the reason this happened is he brought in a true West Coast offense and and but Montana was essentially playing himself the the uh, the Forty Niners were playing a West Coast <laughs> offense yeah. run to perfection just like they'd see in practice and so uh, if you watch that game if you go back and watch that game at all what you'll see is the drives for the Packers and the drives for the 49ers look extraordinarily similar. Mm-hmm. The the mix of the plays, the accuracy of the throws. You know, Don Mikowski was a was a an athletic quarterback, yeah. and he gets remembered for rolling out against the Bears and not being over the line of scrimmage with yeah. the you know the Monday night thing, the replay game. But but he was an on time quarterback, and he really 
Um, he had he actually had better tools, better physical tools than Joe Montana. Nowhere near as good a quarterback Absolutely, yeah. overall. Yeah. But he was running the same offense with the same precision, with more athleticism. And uh, I'll tell you, after years of being lost in the desert, Packer fans were holy cripes. I mean, I think I think we really have something here for years to come. That's the question I wanted to have because. You know, it was just kind of a flash in the pan. And then in 1990, so in 89, they went 10-6. and six. They won four games by one point. It's an NFL record. They had a bunch of other comebacks. They had several almost comebacks that didn't work mm-hmm. out. So what are your memories of that season um, that you might have, like, during the season? Did people say, well, this is a nice reprieve from what they are, or did they really believe that this was the start of something no, new? No, this, this is, we have the magic man. I mean, this, uh, th- that was that buzz. I mean, he was on Sports, Ill- uh, he was on Sports Illustrated. He was, he was all over the, the, the sporting news. Um, he was charismatic. He, he put Green Bay back on the map, and they were talking about how much better the NFL is when Green Bay's good. Mm-hmm. He looked like an 80s kind of, like, if you had like a lame marketing director who was trying to like design hip dude from 1989, oh, seriously, like he had the haircut, he had California the, the talk. surfer dude, <laughs> which he's from Virginia, so it's weird that he had the like low key California airhead kind of oh, personality. He to- but he had he totally had that vibe, and and that's what made him really interesting. In Green Bay, he was almost the anti Packer. He was the yeah. anti Midwest, which makes him even more of a savior, right? So yeah. so we've got somebody coming from the West Coast who wants to play in Green Bay and he talked about how much he loved being here and he was so good and then he held out yeah <laughs> and I'll tell you uh, he pretty much cut the heart out of Packer Nation because you got to remember Packers are loyal and we do everything and and then we had somebody come in and say well I'm not going to pay I'm going to I'm actually going to sit out and we we almost didn't know what to do because yeah. it had never happened yeah uh, we didn't. We didn't even know you could hold out, kind of. <laughs> and uh, and then it was like, oh my God, this guy is like too big for his britches, and he's he's kind of big time in us. And and all of a sudden, then you cave into him, and and now who's running the show? And Lindy Infante was not this incredibly. I mean, he was a very uh, low key guy and a very calm guy. And and now you started wondering who was actually running the team. Yeah. And. Uh, we went from this incredible high to it wasn't a low. It was just it was confusion. Yeah, because don't we, you want to win? We saw our innocence die yeah. when he held out. That's the best way I can put. It. We saw our innocence as Packer fans die, and and the business of football came to Green Bay, and and we didn't know what to do about it. Yeah, and I, I believe like five other starters held out on that ninety team. It's it's so baffling seeing now, and and remember a lot of these types of labor squabbles is what led to real free agency mm-hmm. just a few years ago. So it's a different world, but it had to be this sense of. Okay, we finally got something good, and now it's all about me for all of these guys. It's, so, what's really interesting now is people, you know, people buy a jersey of a player, and in two years they're on a different team. That was not the. I'm telling you, if, if you bought, a, you know, if you bought a Don Mikowski jersey, you fully expected that that <laughs> thing was going to be good for like seven or eight years. You know, yeah. if uh, Lofton jerseys were there forever, yeah. and, and uh, it, it was a very different time. And we were we were we were 
you know, it wasn't Lombardi football, but it was greatness in Green Bay. We were no longer being kicked around like the, you know, the, 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 the little brother. Or, um, and, and so I think it was a really amazing flash in the pan yeah. because he was so different and he was so unique. And we felt like we were going modern. Yeah. Like, like we're old school. We're still hanging on to Lombardi. And all of a sudden, we, man, we came into the 90s. You know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're going to come into the 90s as this cool, hip, upbeat West Coast offense team. All right, we're, we're, you know, we're keeping up with the Joneses and we really have something here. And then it fell flat pretty fast. So uh, real quick before we wrap up on this, because this is a – like Corey, this is one of my favorite kind of years to talk about and getting a first-hand perspective from it. So he holds out. He caves late in the season, but then they go with Anthony Dillwig to start the mm-hmm. season. He crushes it, is NFC Player of the Week. Right. Then uh, Infante is trying to play hardball still, and he starts Dillwig the next week against the Bears, and he's awful. They go to Mikowski the next week, and he stinks because he's so rusty. Then finally he starts get go- getting going a little bit, and quite frankly, statistically, is playing some of the best football of his career. Well, he has a few hiccups, but then in the middle of 90, is playing some of the best football of his career, and then Freddie Joe Nunn tackles him on his right shoulder. They think it's a sprain. It's a kind of a he said, she said between him and the doctor and Infante, and then finally he tries to practice, and they realize his rotator cuff's torn. And do you remember any of that? And, and Oh, yeah. So so, uh, so, so if, if the holdout had never happened, all of Packer Nation would have been on Mikowski's side. They would have been yeah. all like, "Listen, if he says his arm hurts, it's hard. leave him alone. Yeah. You know, leave our savior alone because yeah. this is, you know, this is the magic man, and and like, you know, he's been loyal to us and stuff. But now, you know, Mikowski, his our trust with him is broken. Yeah. And and you know, is he telling the truth or is he just now he's he does he wants to take a couple of weeks off and get paid for it and and you know we had never really heard anything negative about packer mm-hmm. doctors and we couldn't imagine in a million years that somebody from the wholesome green bay packers would ever make an injured player play so so we uh you know i'm telling you the fan base turned on him and and really said oh my gosh okay now we have a pretty boy you know kind of um soft yeah. california guy who doesn't when the going gets tough you know, he got going all right. He got going to the sideline or he got going to hold out or he got going to the doctor. And and we were – that love affair died very quickly and left us in this really weird state. Like like we like winning, but we want truth and honesty yeah. and we want that more. Yeah. And so and then so people really were going towards the Packers and they turn on Mikowski. Then it turns out he's telling the truth. And now you have to start doubting the whole organization. Yeah. It was um, – you know, uh, innocence lost yeah. uh, in in that uh, in that period of time because you, you're trying to believe in somebody. You're trying yeah. to believe in Mikowski. You're trying to believe in the team. Trying to believe in the coach. And all of a sudden, what you realize is that at any given time, based on what the needs of the business community in the NFL is, people will do whatever it takes to to get their way. Um, and I, I think it was one of those moments where we really. You know, we really came to terms with the NFL as a business. Yeah, that's all fascinating stuff. I. I... Like I said, that era is just so interesting to me because those people didn't know that Brett Favre was two years away. And so it's their kind of, they're stuck in history and all they know is we've been bad for 25 years and there's no reason to think the next 25 years are going to be better. It's just such, it's the the people that are diehard there. Right. They're your hardcores mm-hmm. that have been in it for the long haul. There's no chance it's going to be good. They don't know when Don Mikowski tears his shoulder that a year and a half later, 
maybe the best player you've ever had is going to walk through the door. That's just fascinating. There to was me. this talk, really, that you know we were like, okay, I know we've been bad for twenty years or twenty five years, but um, you know we had a good couple of years, so you know maybe it's going to be another twenty years, but we can. You know, in Green Bay, you get a couple of good years. You can talk about that for a decade or, <laughs> or more and start thinking about it. So we kind of went, it was fun. You know, now we're going to go back to being – because at that time, remember, there was all this thing about money and the Packers could never sur- survive in Green Bay. And um, there was all this talk about – you know, free agency wasn't here yet, but there was all this talk about players who are going to uh, teams who could spend more money. And there was – there were, you know – Green Bay was never going to leave, but but you know what? Did the ownership structure in Green Bay need to change? There were all these conversations about the 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 old time football, the old yeah. time football ways going away. And Mikowski, I would say, was just on the leading edge of it. He was yeah. the poster child for life as we know it, as football fans is changing. Um, but we would have been happy. I, you know, yeah. I, I got to tell you, you get two good years, you beat the Bears a couple of times. <laughs> you know, we even when times got tough, you know, we probably replayed that instant replay game against the yeah. Bears. Uh, you know, as many times as we could, as many times as we could get it, and we were so used to losing. You know, one one small flash in the pan is all you need to stay a fan for a long time. Yeah, I, I think you're right because I've experienced that as a Brewer fan. Like I'm still talking about 2008 to people, and probably right. will for a long time. <laughs> right. I'm I'm talking about the. 18 strikeout game in 2004 when I think they lost 95 games that year. But I'm like, <laughs> did you watch Sheets' 18 strikeout game? So I get that part of it. But I'm of the opinion, um, and then we'll move on to Omade's question. But um, I'm of the opinion that had like 89 and then maybe another 10 and 6 seasons sometime since then uh-huh. had been all of the highlights, they would have found a way to move this team. If, if they would have had that 1990 stadium in 2000 they they wouldn't have got to 2017 i don't care what the bylaws say from 1960 where Uh the packers are grandfathered in the packers would not be a team i I think it 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 had to change in some form and i think i think it wouldn't have moved but i I think it would have been owned by somebody and i I don't know how you do that i don't know how that functions but they were i mean bob harlan was going around where they were talking about later on where they were talking about the renovation saying listen we can't compete you you want us to compete and in a in a you know zero sum games you know players are going to go here or they're going to go here because of of pay and because of facilities we're losing the battle yeah we we can't compete and so unless we start going with luxury suites and and of course you know green bay packers lu- yeah, luxury yeah. suites you know we you know we're still back in the era of sitting on pine benches <laughs> and sneaking in through the fence to watch them play at the old high school yeah, football yeah. field so um, all you know, life again, life as we knew it changed right about that time. Yeah, absolutely. So thank goodness uh, the '67 team was home. Uh, which this isn't one of the questions, but I'm glad I remembered it. So Bart Starr made what uh, his wife Cherry said will be his final ever. I was reading that today, um, yeah. a, appearance in Green Bay and, and trip to Green Bay. So you probably have about as much recollection of the '67 team as I have as Favre's first team in '92. I was five years old when mm-hmm. Favre first. Yeah. Um, but do you have any recollection of any of those players that you want to share? With, well, share? I, you know, I I saw Bart Starr uh, when he started to fade a little bit, and interestingly enough, I don't know if I ever told you this, but um, Jim Grabowski, yep, uh, one of the Goldust twins. I yep. don't know if you know, you heard I have heard that. But yeah. One of the Gold, is actually was actually my grandfather's nephew. Okay, and so I actually have a ball signed right after the first Super Bowl in 1967, a 66 season, they played the Super Bowl, um, from Jim Grabowski. And so my impression of that, I never got to meet him, but but always bigger than life. 
and um, and and so that whole idea that Green Bay was great for some reason, yeah. had no idea why yeah. it was so great. I mean, 1967, I'm five years old, yeah. and so um, I, I hear about how great they are, and the games I'm starting to watch in 70, 71, and 72, I'm like, okay, where's this greatness? Because yeah, I've heard yeah. so much about it. Um, and then you meet some of the players. I, I met Ron Kostelnik sometime a little mm-hmm. bit later than that. Enormous human being, by the way. Not sure. a pack of people talk about. Uh, I shook his hand, and my hand disappeared in his hand. It was just. And Chris is not a small man. He's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so it was. But, but it was to say it was legendary um, because you know if you really think about Wisconsin back then, it's like literally the only game in town. Now yeah, we've got yeah. NFL Network, and we've yeah. got you can go to the mall here, and you got yeah. satellite TV, and it was really one of the very few things to be proud of nationally for Green Bay. And, um, and I, you know, I, I was just a little bit too early to the party. Well, and it happens to the best of yep. us, I guess. Yep. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, sad to see that those guys have – I mean, it's, it's a long time ago now. Well, he's 83. Yeah, he is. So think about that. If, if it's 50 years ago, yeah. that means he was 30 – we don't yeah. think about it. He was 33 years old then when yeah. he won his second Super Bowl. Yeah. So when we talk about, well, you know, how long can Aaron Rodgers be good, yeah. you, you, with the nutrition and everything – 50 years ago, he was yeah. 33 and still at the absolute top of his game, which, yeah, means, that's true. which means that if that was 67, he retired in 72. He played four more years. Yeah. That means he was 37 or 38 years old 50 years ago playing. So we should have a little bit more Aaron Rodgers. You would, to have, enjoy. You would, you would hope. <laughs> All right. And then Omain Mousley has our last uh, quick topic here. Uh, I would want to hear some of the thoughts on how this year could be similar to some of the bad seasons in the last 25 years. Um, he said tears by accident, but that fits perfectly. It's a Freudian slip there. You know what a Freudian slip is? Yeah. It's when you if it's when you mean one thing, but you say one thing, but you mean your mother. Oh, God. <laughs> that has to be on some like high school joke book somewhere, right? <laughs> All right. So, Omade says, um, so what about uh, if Sterling Sharp hadn't gotten injured? We'll get to that another time, uh, Omade. And then also the Super Bowl 32 stuff I realized we forgot with Daniel Johnson, but we're running long. I promise we'll get to both of those uh, in the near future. So similar bad seasons. There really isn't any like this because 2013 should have been this one, but then Matt Flynn saved the day right. and created one of my favorite seasons ever. Yeah, yep. With all the comeback wins and and a great play by him, and then, of course, the dramatic ending by Aaron Rodgers. 1999 was just a team that slowly evaporated talent from the Super Bowl, and all of a sudden you woke up and you're left with Brett Favre and Leroy Butler and who else, you know, Freeman and some of those guys, but you, you weren't left with much. Um, you, you know, 92, when Favre comes in, if we didn't have Favre on the team, you would have had a year just like this. Yeah. Because uh, Magic Man goes down, and then, is it 92 or 93? I can't remember. Uh, well, he went down in 92 when Favre uh, took over, and then Favre ended up winning, I think, what, he was 8-5 and five as a starter, plus the one, so he was really successful. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So you would have had a year like that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think one, so like even 2000. Five when they went four and twelve, you had Favre the whole time. So every week, I don't know if any of you remember two thousand five firsthand, but I remember crazy stuff like them being two and seven, and people saying, "Well, they're going to run the table <laughs> because the <laughs> NFC North isn't very good." You know, just crazy stuff like that. Nobody gave up hope until they were like two and eleven, and then everybody's, or I think three and ten. Everybody's like, "All right, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs." Which is proof positive <laughs> that that. You can't win with one player. Like you yeah. can bet everything on Brett Favre, you can bet everything on on Aaron Rodgers, but you know Favre 
with clearly a lot still left in the tank because yeah. he goes to Minnesota and yeah. does some pretty amazing things. Like well, and he had one Jets more great year with the Packers two years later. Exactly. Takes so the so it, it's you, know, you can bet on that person, but if you don't surround them with talent, and you, you can't just – and I think that's what happens is we get so infatuated with this one great player. Yeah. We go, well, he can make everybody really good. And listen, everybody's good in the NFL. You, yeah. you have to have special players at a number of spots to be good. Yeah, this is pretty much uncharted waters uh, – I think I said that right. Uncharted waters. Uncharted I think water. I might have exactly. said chartered, which is, I guess, chartered could be the same. Totally but different. I've never been one to properly use the English language on this podcast. <laughs> so what difference does it make? So the last 25 years, there really isn't any season that is going to be like this one. If it is ending up being a bad season because you don't have your best player. Uh, I guess some that are close. 1991, when Mikowski tried to come back from that injury, by midseason he was out with injuries, and then they went with Tom Zach the rest of the year. Oh, yeah. That's a pretty good example. That's pretty close. Just a little bit outside of 25 years. But that's pretty darn good because Tom Zach, you know, he came with a little bit of a reputation coming from Chicago, and there were some expectations. Like, well, well, the drop-off won't be that big. Yeah. And then it was. Yeah. So so maybe we're experiencing that right now. Yeah, it it could be that. I mean, he – Slocked it out. He did okay. Um, maybe it was better than injured Mikowski, but certainly not better than healthy Mikowski. Right. Um, the only other one I can possibly think of if you're losing your quarterback is I'm going way back. 1977, they lost Lynn Dickey to a broken leg, and then David Whitehurst finished the year. I think he had like one touchdown and eight picks. So Did, that was a rough you know, one. That is, that's, that's my era, and David Whitehurst, um, I'm sure a fine fellow, <laughs> a, a probably fantastic dancer as well. Um, Decent dad because he got his son to the the pros. Yeah, which... <laughs> there, I'm sure a fantastic guy. But I, I'll tell you, I, uh, Nebraska is it uh, Whitehurst? Uh, uh, I, no, that Jerry Taggy was Jerry Taggy's out of. Um, uh, you're exactly right. I just Furman. I think he was Furman. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you officially <laughs> win this one because you totally nailed. I would have never gotten that in a million years. Um, but but when when Taggy comes in. You know, at least at least you had this running game, right? Early, yeah. early, early on yep. in the seventies, you have this running game of, of Brockington and, and MacArthur Lane, and you didn't really need a court. I mean, it's yeah. Scott Hunter yeah. and those kind of players. And now you have Tag, and you go, you turn around, and you go, okay, well at least we have a. Oh wait, <laughs> those guys are gone. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you just real. I mean, there's a point at which you just realize we're just not good, we're not and it's it. a very depressing prospect. Even back then, yeah. because you see the start of this really long drought. Um, and now I think people who have never experienced are seeing that, that, you know, if, if we don't do something uh, at the quarterback spot, you know, I don't, I don't know how long Aaron Rodgers plays, but this, this story ends. You yeah, know, this eventually. fantastic story ends. And you don't, you know, we, we got two in a row. Yeah. I, the, the idea that you're going to get three in a row, um, you know, again, I keep saying this every week, enjoy it while you got yeah. it. Well, hopefully we might have to wait to enjoy it again. But yeah, right. So thanks for all those questions. Real quick, uh, Olmade. Uh, I guess the answer to your question, 91 is close, 77 is close. I was born 10 years after 1977, but I have a very personal connection to it because, as people know, I collect Packer games, any I can get my hands on. And I always would hit these milestones like like collecting these. Well, I want all the Holmgren games. I want all the Favre games. Well, I want every game since I was born. I want every game that's been televised. And I kept going back and back and back into these grubby years. Finally, I got a like 10 games from 1977. The Packers averaged nine points a game that year on offense, and they weren't even the worst offense in the league. So the whole league was down. I'm watching, I think in one day, I watched three of these games from 77, and I'm like, I've reached my limit. I don't need to see them all. (laughs) I don't need to watch Barty Smith 
and Steve Odom and oh my David gosh, Whitehurst. Those names are just absolutely. I, I've had enough. Him. So seventy-seven is the year that took me um, off the path of becoming, you know, a hardcore hoarder <laughs> instead of just a little bit of one. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, everybody, for on the uh, interacting with us on the Facebook page. Fantastic topics. The ones we missed, I promise we'll get to them in the future. Uh, so if you want to leave a comment, you can go to the Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Green Gold Forever. Chris, that's the number four. Number four, so one, two, three, yep. four, one less than five. Four. Okay, four. gotcha. Number okay. of wins uh, for the Packers in 1977 and 1991. So And and if we don't do better this year. <laughs> 2017. <laughs> Uh, you can also email us, greenandgoldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, the best place to go to get all of our stuff is greengoldforever.podbean.com. It's got all of our, our past podcasts. It's got uh, different blogs and articles that have been written. If you're on the go, follow us on iTunes, Green and Gold Forever. You can also search Eric Drews if you want to do that and find it on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to us there, rate and review if you're so inclined. And then also on the Podbean app, you get our complete archives on the go uh, if you subscribe to us on the Podbean app. So now we have a bye week. I've never looked forward to a bye week more, uh, I don't think. I, I just want a weekend to just... We, we lost a dream last week. Uh-huh. This week, it was confirmed that that dream is probably gone. This week, I just kind of want to give the Packers a chance to figure it out. Me as a fan, I can just kind of not be sad about the lost dream and kind of forget about it and uh, just have a kind of a carefree weekend. You, you know, I think what I'm going to do during the bye week, especially this week, is I'm going to watch some other really good teams and see some of the things they do that we don't do. Yeah. And then and then see, because again, we have to adjust some scheme. Yeah. You just absolutely have to. And and if you know if we can see it on film from other teams, so should our coaching staff. Yeah. So I, I want to see what they come out of with the bye week, but I want to get some ideas of possibilities and just see if uh, if we make those changes on the field. Yeah, that's a great that's a great idea for everybody. And I'll, I'll probably just be mindlessly looking at the screen and, you know, <laughs> Fair watching enough. Red Zone, but I think Chris's method is way better. <laughs> All right, so uh, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed some of that in-depth talk of some um, better and worse days gone by, uh, hopefully some better days ahead. Take care, everyone.